Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you here on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good evening to you. I am Jason Kong, and this show is made possible through the support of Transitions Life Care. And thank you, Cooper Linton, who the uh, the uh, ambassador, I guess, of Transitions Life Care, for being here tonight. It is my privilege to be here and to represent Transitions Life Care. And representing Transitions Guiding Lights is Nicole Bruno, who's, who's just brimming right now because she has a new phrase. It's been a while. Yes. My, my children have been pretty silent because they know I embarrass them on the radio. So I have something new to say. Now, for those who are who may be new to this program, yes. Nicole learns these new phrases that are, uh, uh, this is an old terms, this will date me, <laughs> but these are like hip, cool terms that her, her kids say. Yes, my, my 11 through 14 year old. So it's, yeah. So and so I you get. translate for us what these new phrases mean. I do. So this is a really good one. You left me open. You left me open. Can you can you venture to guess what that might mean? Um, maybe you forgot about me. Is that it? Nope. You you apparently there's this app called Snapchat. Uh huh. Okay. And apparently, when somebody receives a text, you can see that they looked at it, but they didn't respond. Oh. So it's very bad. Like if you're a friend or a girlfriend or a boyfriend, and you see their text and you don't respond, that's being known as being left open. So, so that's a disrespect thing. That is, and that creates a fight, apparently. Oh, man. So we don't want to leave each other open ever. No, no. I'll always reply to your direct messages. <laughs> is this the same thing as where I got in trouble as a kid for leaving the back door open? Um, We're not trying to air condition the entire county, son. Is that the... This sounds worse, actually. Okay. I All think, right. I, I don't understand. Yeah, you may have gotten a slap on the wrist for that one, but for this... I'm an analog kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so apparently people will look at this and just, they'll just stew for like minutes and hours until that person finally responds. It's, it's just, it just builds and builds. You know, you can, you can <laughs> learn so much about care and caregiving on this program, but sometimes we just provide you with the real information that you need to know. Uh, well, Cooper, you brought in a, a host of people this evening. Uh, there's there's a, a pile of people outside the studio waiting to get in and come on the air. They're so coming in off the street. So what man. are we talking about tonight? Where are we going? Well, we often do shows that are related to uh, direct impact of placement of elder folks. Uh, we're looking at you know nursing homes or assisted livings, or we're looking at the impact of home health or Medicare, and all those things are incredibly relevant. But we realize that that, there's some depth that we need to bring in sometimes to what other resources are available to caregivers, what are available to the folks that we love. And so we wanted to do a show that touches on some elements of care that we think sometimes get overlooked. And so our first guest this evening is Lauren Mayer. She is with Bluebird Wellness. She operates a private practice, and she is a board-certified holistic nurse, also a healing touch practitioner. And I think like some of our listeners, I'm probably going to get a little bit of an education today on what does all of that entail. entail. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thank you for having me. So can you start off with what is a holistic nurse and what's a healing touch practitioner? Sure. Um, holistic nurse looks at the healing of the whole person as its goal. So we consider um, the interconnectedness of you and your environment. Um, and so we, we care for ourselves as well. We have a lot of um, resiliency that we build up so that we can have a healing presence with others. So that's something to teach caregivers that are caring for the elderly. And then for Healing Touch, the National Institute of Health has recognized there's an energy field around the body. They call this a biofield. Um, and so Healing Touch is a biofield modality, but we are trained to 
put, lay our hands on or over the body to um, shift someone so that they feel um, more balanced. And it really what it does is activate the relaxation response so that someone can um, activate their self-healing ability. And so it's less focused on, say, diabetes or congestive heart failure, less focused on the on a particular diagnosis and more focused on the person as an entire whole being? Well, as a nurse, I always do an intake and kind of understand what's going on with them physically. Um, so sometimes if they have a lymphatic issue or a swelling issue, I would do a technique to help shift that. Um, but you can do it generalized without looking at the physical systems individually and just go with an open heart to balance them, connect them, and make them feel more peace and comfort. So what would you say the benefits are, uh, you know, seeking the, the services of a regular nurse versus a holistic nurse mm -hmm. or healing nurse? Well, the biggest benefit is to help empower you so that you feel more comfortable making choices that would be beneficial towards your health. So teaching you how to do mini check-ins on where where you're feeling stressed. Is it in your body? Um, are you unable to concentrate? Are you um, unable to um, just move forward or be productive? So for, um, for me as a nurse, when I get with a client, I do a lot of homework for them to do, but I try to keep it simple and easy. I've trained in a lot of modalities and the trend amongst all of them is really this relaxation really get yourself in a mindful place where you can reset, refuel, and release. So it seems to me that you're really bridging the gap between traditional medicine and what is known as, I believe, alternative medicine. Could you explain what that is? Right. There, and Dr. Um, B.J. Miller describes it's very good, and you can search for him on Oprah Had It or Ted Miller. And, and B.J. Miller, if I recall correctly, is a physician out of California yeah. who has an interest in palliative medicine and had some very unique uh, experiences with the healthcare system as a young man. He did. He um, lost three of his limbs at 23. Through an electrocution, if I remember. An electrocution. He sat on um, in the hospital, un grieving, unsure of how he was going to move forward. And the nurse brought. It was snowing outside. The nurse brought him a snowball and he held that in his hand. And he felt this interconnectedness that we talk about with your environment and with life. And that actually gave him the will. And he developed the Zen Hospice Project out in California which is about aesthetic healing, which is really what I help people open up to. And that's the other paradigm he's talking about. You have the medical paradigm, you have this aesthetic healing that you could put comfort care, palliative care up under. But aesthetic healing might be the smell of cookies might make you feel peace. Or when I was recovering from my double hip replacement, it felt lonely the second time because people don't come to you as often or, or call you as often. A friend brought me a flower and I had this prism in the window. It shined through and around the flowers, and it just gave me such peace, something so simple as flowers. So he talks about this aesthetic thing being things that can, little things that you can do to help you feel comforted and more peaceful, and in that you get into that relaxed response. The natural opiates release, such as endorphins, laughter will help that as well, to just get yourself in a place of joy and peace, even if you're lost three limbs. <laughs> and maybe the snowball can put you in that better state of mind. I think some of the generation that's coming up through right now that are receiving care sometimes can be a little bit skeptical about these types of modalities. But I do believe that the baby boomers coming up seem to be very interested in, you know, more of the what's kind of known as the Eastern medicines or the alternative therapies. Do you see that as a trend as well? 
I do see there is a bridge to gap, but I also think that you seek this alternative complementary care when you need it. Mm -hmm. So you might not be open to it if you feel healthy or if you are young. Um, But I have a little girl who's 11 and I teach her these things. So I think she'll have this mindfulness and these many things where she sits down and puts an essential oil in her hand and gets her feet on the ground to get grounded and does some conscious choices as a young child that makes a difference in her reaction to stress because we all need stress. There's positive stress and negative stress. You need to have some or then things break down if you don't have enough. So teaching little things to any age, I think would be beneficial. But there is a little gap that does need Mm -hmm. to be bridged and usually people seek it when they're ill or sick or chronic or needing this kind of care. If uh, people want to... get in contact with you what's the best way to do that uh the best debate would be to text me at 919-522-8770 very good lauren mayer thank you so much for joining us thank you so much for having me lauren is the owner and operator of bluebird wellness and as she said you can give her uh, a call at 919-522-8770 a quick break and back you're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. This is News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF, you are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. I am Jason Kong, Nicole Bruno, Cooper Linton alongside me. And Cooper, we've, uh, we're have we at capacity in the studio right now. <laughs> we uh, are at capacity. If the fire chief comes by, we, we may get into a little trouble. But we'll just hide a couple people under the desk. They'll, yeah, they'll never know. That's that's true. That's true. Well, uh, you know, we've, we've been talking about so far elements of care that might get overlooked. And uh, I, I've been digging this show so far so where are we going next well we were actually at our own caregivers conference a few months back when i went by a booth uh, and it was held by the nasher museum of art at duke university located in durham and they were talking about a program i met uh, Brittany halberstad there who's one of our guests this evening as well as jessica ruley uh, and they began to talk to me about this program they have for people and their family members who have dementia. And I had never heard of this. I thought it was a brilliant idea. And I said, let's tell the world about this because I think it's awesome. And so we just invited them to join us on the show this evening to talk about the Reflections program that National Museum has. Jessica and Brittany, welcome to the show this evening. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So let's start with who's National Museum? What's National Museum? Where is it? Let's start with the fundamentals. Absolutely. So the National Museum is the University Art Museum at Duke University, and we have a historical collection as well as a collection of contemporary and modern art. Um, And we serve the Duke University campus as well as broader Durham. So we have a strong K-12 program. We do lots of adult programs. Um, We have a lot of fun. Well, you, you've already had fun just waiting, you know, talking to you guys before the show started. We started having fun. So it seems like that may permeate the culture there at Nasher. Absolutely. How, how did this idea of reflections, first, what is reflections and how did it, how was it born? Sure. Um, so reflections are guided tours that are available for visitors with dementia and their care partners. 
And it started four years ago at the Nasher, really just at a moment when a lot of stars aligned and things came together. Um, I was working in the education department and was really interested in other museums, specifically the Museum of Modern Art in New York that has their Meet Me at MoMA program that um, is serving a similar population. And we had a new director at the time, Sarah Schroth, who was also very interested in us providing accessible programs for those with dementia. And we had some funders who came in and were enthusiastic about this as well. So it was just the um, perfect aligning of all of those interests. We were able to partner with Lisa Gwyther on Duke's campus, who runs the Duke Family Support Program. They came in sort of as our um, information experts to help us get up to speed and be sure we were providing programs that were appropriate for the groups. And um, we kicked things off. That sounds amazing. It's very, very exciting. When I was a young social worker, I got involved in doing art specifically with Alzheimer's patients. And one of the things, this might sound crazy, what we did was we did flounder paintings. We took a whole flounder and we put all different colors on them. And then we, yes, I know, Cooper's looking at me. Are you saying a fish? Yeah. <laughs> I see. I knew you would perk I up. This, this yeah. is, this is literally. You catch a flounder out of the ocean. But see, I bought it at the grocery store because this is. We're talking. You that's know. not cheating. That's not considered cheating. Well, I, I mean, I lived probably five hours from the ocean at the okay, time. Okay, I'll give you a pass. But, but, but what we did was we took a flounder and then the the residents in the skilled nursing facility that I worked in put all different colors on it and then we basically used the flounder like a stamp. And we made these beautiful pieces of art. And I kid you not, these sold at auction for the National Alzheimer's Association for upwards of $2,000 a piece. They came out beautiful. We had them professionally framed, and it raised a whole bunch of money for our local chapter. So, it, I mean, and they were really proud because they came out so beautiful. So, and my question is, and I know, you know that Cooper's mind's are reeling with this fish. No, they didn't smell. <laughs> it would get really, oh, that was a good, I'm really good. Well, I'm very cute. punny. <laughs> but, but the question is, not only do you do these tours, but do you actually do artwork with the participants? Yeah, so our tours actually have kind of three main components. So we have the guided tours, um, and that's usually seated stops at three or four works of art. And we have our professional tour guides um, leading these discussions at each stop. Um, and then every other month, we alternate between hands-on art making and live music in the galleries. And we're really excited to offer both of those. Um, but an important component of our art making is the fact that it's not childish. Mm -hmm. So we're not trying to give older adults just an activity where they're cutting paper and pasting it. We're trying to give them real art experiences. Um, and so we've done screen printing before, we've done watercolor painting, um, and so we're really trying um, to use existing skills to make really great artwork. Um, no nothing sold for $2,000 yet, <laughs> but that's very exciting. We're priming the pump this evening. <laughs> yes, thank Don't you very much. Don't welcome to contact Nasher. I'm getting the feeling I might be voluntold pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> and um, another great component, Jessica mentioned this just briefly, um, is the fact that we invite individuals with dementia and their care partners into the museum. And so a lot of our art projects are paired. So you're working with your care partner to create this work of art, which is really nice. Um, because that way everyone can supplement each other's skills, you can be creative together, you can make something shared to bring home, um, and that's really nice to have that takeaway also, um, to have that memory of being in the museum, but also to have some tangible thing that you can take back with you. Now folks listening, this lady who's speaking right now, she is, um she, you're a student. <laughs> Does she yes, not sound like the ultimate expert and extremely passionate? Where, where do you go to school? What, 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 what 
grade are you in, basically? And <laughs> and um, and what got you so passionate about this work? So I am a junior at Duke University. Um, I'm majoring in art history, and I'm actually participating in the new concentration for museum theory and practice, which is really exciting. That just started a couple years ago. Um, and so I got involved at the Nasher just because I wanted to do a work-study job there. I was working with Jessica in the department, um, basically just doing everyone's busy work, which was really nice. Um, <laughs> but really that's, nice for us. That's <laughs> yeah. very polite. Oh, it was fun. I love doing everyone's busy work. It was great. Work. I love busy work. Um, but it was really exciting when Jessica and I started having conversations about this program. I shadowed some tours. Um, I met some of the guides. I looked over tours, and I started to help um, writing them and looking at pieces for the tours. Um, and then Jessica decided that it was time to start expanding the tours and that there was actually um, a need for a dedicated position for the Reflections program. Um, and I had already shown interest and I was really excited about the program. Um, and so I was hired officially in January to help run this program, which has been really exciting, um, especially as we expand and as we add more tours to the calendar. So how many people can you handle on each tour? Um, so on each tour, we only have 12 to 15 visitors per tour, um, and that's really intentional. We could probably handle more. Our gallery spaces are fairly big, um, but what we want to do is keep it really intimate. Um, so we want to make sure that everybody's involved in the discussion. We want to make sure that nobody's left out, um, and we also want to just make it feel really personal. Um, we try to make it feel like you're enjoying a tour at the museum, but there's nothing stressful about it. So you're not in this big group and you could be lost. It's really focused on you as an individual. So this program, um, I, I, I overheard you talking about you were doing a symposium, mm -hmm. and it was about best, best practices. So mm -hmm. that's pretty exciting. I mean, so you're really kind of out there as a shining star to other museums in the country that may want to institute this type of a program, correct? Absolutely. So for us, hosting the symposium was a really important part of one of our primary goals of Reflections, which is to have other museums also be providing these types of tours and these resources for families. Um, Brittany mentioned the fact that we intentionally keep the tour groups small, which means at some point we will reach capacity. There's a limited number of visitors that any given museum can serve on these tours if you're doing them well. And so having the symposium was a way to really strengthen the work that's being done at museums around the country. Um, we had over 70 people from 23 states and two countries. Um, it was a great opportunity for folks who are doing this type of work to really come together around this topic. What has been the community response so far to these? I mean, I, I, do mm -hmm. people know what's going on? They do, they do. Um, the response has been overwhelming, really in terms of appreciation. The fact that when people realize the museum is accessible to them in a way they weren't expecting it to be, they're thrilled. In the studio, we have Jessica Ruley and Brittany Halberstadt, and they are with the National Museum of Art at Duke University. Uh, Jessica is the Director of Education and Public Programs. Brittany is the Education Assistant for the Reflections Program, and we've we've been talking about the Reflections Program. It's it's a really neat uh, program at Nasher Museum that's uh, all about uh, Alzheimer's, and uh, it's, it's really cool, and we're going to dive into it a little bit more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life. Care on News Radio 680 WPTF.
You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. I am Jason Kong, Nicole Bruno, and Cooper Linton alongside me here on this fine Saturday evening. We've got Jessica Ruley and Brittany Halberstadt in the studio, and they are with the Nasher Museum of Art at Duke University. And we've been talking all about their Reflections Program, which is the Nasher Museum's Alzheimer's Project. And this program provides... Uh, tours for visitors who live with memory loss and uh, the tours are also for their care partners and Cooper I completely understand why you were so impressed with this program when you found out about it well when you think about a, a program that's designed to engage with people who have dementia not just Alzheimer's but that larger body of dementia that we we often reference on this show then we talk about their caregivers who are struggling in that journey who are often seeking resources where do I go with my loved one? Because for some of these people, simply going to dinner with a loved one who has Alzheimer's can be incredibly stressful. The person's behavior may not be appropriate. We're, we're not necessarily socially accepting of the behaviors that are typical of folks with dementia. But if we look at the statistics right now, we know that the pervasiveness of dementia is blossoming. I mean, it's going growing at a rate that should make most of us a little, I'll be polite and call it uncomfortable, but I think probably the emotion should be more intense than that. And as a society, we need to be finding ways to embrace these people and finding ways to embrace their caregivers because this is a longitudinal journey. This is not you you have Alzheimer's or dementia for three months. You may have it for three years or ten years. And it seems like you guys have come up with a program that's very engaging for that group what, what are some of the experiences that caregivers have had on these tours and, that, you know, were they getting to make art, not just see art? What, what has the experience been like for, for people with dementia and their loved ones? Sure, absolutely. So, so much of what you're talking about there is having spaces, institutions, places of business being dementia friendly. And that really stretches beyond our staff and the tours that we're giving. It includes the entire museum staff. Um, our front desk workers, our security team are all part of this experience and all part of understanding what both the visitor with dementia and the care partners are experiencing. So you're training with the folks at the museum actually extended beyond the docents. It really got into... So some of our staff that are not giving tours are what makes this program so successful. We have a security guard, Scott, who really has built a one-on-one -on -one relationship with several of the members of the group. And having that knowledge about what these families are experiencing and what they're bringing with them as they come into this space and being really empathetic of that allows for the caregivers to relax and to exhale a bit, to have an experience that is without all of the stress that you're describing um, in this time when you're right, they can't go to dinner and simply enjoy themselves because there's this constant anxiety about what their loved one might be doing or might it be experiencing for themselves. So we really do get to see that relaxation and let them enjoy one another as individuals rather than focusing purely on this disease. Do you have an example you could share with us this evening as to how this has been you know, perceived by a family? Um, so I actually have a specific example from a visitor who had dementia um, on one of our recent tours and how the tour really affected him. 
Um, so we had just done a 60-minute guided tour in the gallery, um, and this visitor was very quiet, and um, he was very quiet and wasn't very verbal. And then we went over to the music portion, so that's our 30-minute live music in the galleries. Um, and the musicians had been told that it was his birthday. And so before they started their musical performance, they started playing Happy Birthday and everybody sang to him. And he hadn't really, we weren't even sure if he understood what was going on or if this was for him. And he actually stood up and then turned to the group and bowed to the group. <laughs> and that was just so special um, that we could touch him and that we could actually make an impact on his day and make him have a really special experience that he wouldn't have had somewhere else. Um, and that was really exciting for us. And then he sat down and enjoyed the music. Um, but it was really nice. Um, and I think that really speaks to kind of who we choose to use on our tours. So our visual artists that we, um, our teaching artists that we have come in and our musicians, um, we try to choose people who are really empathetic to this group and who are really willing to work with the mood of the group. So if they have a set program and nobody really seems interested, they can switch it up or they can change it or they can ask what the group wants. Um, and that's really important for us to have um, all these people be really flexible in our tours. Um, and the same way our guides are really flexible. Um, so if a piece of art isn't working, we'll move to another one, and that's really important for us. I think over the years in my work with individuals with Alzheimer's or related dementias, one of the biggest issues I have when working with the caregivers, they always bring up, you know, not knowing what to do with the person. The person's ability levels change and just the monotony of the day in, day out, same old routine at home. So it sounds like this could be a very positive experience for both the caregiver and the care receiver insofar as, you know, being able to do an activity together that has a sense of purpose, there's a, a wonderful outcome, and then there's a sharing of memories while the person with the Alzheimer's or related dementia may not remember the next day what happened that caregiver can kind of pull on that memory and start to build some good memories and not make everything so negative throughout the progress. Have you experienced that from families? Absolutely, we definitely have. And um, you know, one of the really magical things about this program is that we can't predict those moments when we're preparing a tour, when we're selecting works of art. We have no idea what is gonna make that connection for the visitor and for the care partner. And so they are really special, magical moments when that happens. And we see visitors with dementia um, who, based off of a single detail in a work of art, will go into elaborate stories, some of which their loved ones have heard before, some of which are new, um, new opportunities for them to share. And so that's a special moment for both caregiver and visitor with dementia. Um, Brittany mentioned the music, and oftentimes the music can have such a powerful effect on folks. Um, one of the stories I love to tell about this program was when we had um, a Spanish artist on display. And so for the music portion, we had a Spanish guitarist who was playing. And as we came into the space, one of our visitors, Charles, identified himself as having been a drummer. And it just so happened the musician had a drum with him and encouraged Charles to, to play. And so Charles accompanied him. It was a beautiful moment. I was not surprised at the end of the tour when Charles's wife was in tears um, and she came up to speak to me afterwards. What did surprise me was she shared that she didn't know Charles had been a drummer. This was a second marriage for them. They'd been together for 17 years and it wasn't part of his life that she knew about. Um, and so, you know, we never could have planned for that. We couldn't have predicted that. But having this time in the museum, having this opportunity together to do exactly what you're talking about, getting out of their day to day, 
um, allowed for him to share something about his history and his past that that his own wife didn't know. So those are incredible moments for us. So if I can, let me jump into some nuts and bolts on things before we close out this segment. And that's how do I how do I get connected to this if I'm a loved one who wants to participate? How expensive is this? Great. So it's completely free. So that's free. a wonderful question. Um, the tours are completely free. Um, and we love to be able to offer that to people because a lot of times um, a charge is really um, doesn't allow people to enjoy the program. And so you're saying free, but free. it may be free to the participant, but it's not free to you all. It is not free to us. <laughs> so less, less, yes. yeah. important designation. Yes. yes. Um, and so as Nicole was mentioning, we do take donations for the program. Um, and it all right now it's all donation based. Um, and so we're really excited to be able to offer this free program. Um, and if you're with a group, we also offer free parking. So for assisted living facilities, we also offer free parking, which is really exciting for us. Um, but a little bit of the logistics that you were mentioning, Cooper, um, I'll just kind of list those right now. Um, we offer two types of tours to the public. Um, our first type is guided tours for groups. And those are on the third Tuesday of the month at 10.30 and 1.30. And we also offer guided tours for pairs. So that would be an individual with dementia and their care partner. That could be family or friend or professional. Um, and those are the fourth Tuesday of the month at 10.30 and 1.30. Um, and so for both of those tours, um, you can log on to our website. It's nasher.duke.edu slash reflections. Um, and you'll see all that information there. Or you can just email me at reflections at duke.edu. But you do need to sign up in advance because it sounds like space is limited. You definitely do. Um, as we mentioned before, we try to keep our tours small and intimate between 12 and 15 guests, which is really important to us. But that does mean you have to sign up in advance, and it may be that we'll um, put you on a tour maybe a month later. And where can people sign up again? Um, so that's um, on our website. It's nasher.duke.edu slash reflections, and there will be all the information right there. Or you can email me. I'm Brittany, um, and that email address is reflections at duke.edu. So nasher.duke.edu slash reflections. Very good. Yes. Very good. We'll also put that up on the on the webpage uh, under Google the, Nasher. It's a yeah, mouthful. Yeah. yeah, we'll also put that up on the Aging Matters section of WPTF.com if you want to find out more information. Jessica Ruley and Brittany Halberstadt, thank you so much for joining us this evening. We really, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank they you. It's are, a pleasure. Absolutely. They are with the Nasher Museum of Art at Duke University, again, with the Reflections Program, and you can find more information about them online and at our website as well. A quick break and back. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Radio 680 WPTF, you're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find more about them online at transitionslifecare.org. Well, we've talked plenty about the Caregiver Summits, and uh, I thought that it would probably be a good idea to let you hear from people who have actually attended and who have been to one uh, rather than hear us tell you more about it. But we're going to hear from Emma up first, and she came all the way from Zebulon to the, the Raleigh Caregivers Summit with her church group. Where are you coming from today? We're coming from Zebulon, mm-hmm. First Baptist Church in Zebulon, uh, our senior ministry. We have leaders from our senior ministry that's coming, and a lot of us are caregivers for families 
family members mm-hmm. that uh, live in the home with them, and some of them live out. So I thought that this would be a good opportunity for them to see what was available for them, the help that they could get. So, How did you find out about the, uh, the, the summit, the caregiver summit? Uh, several years ago, I think when they first started, they used to be at the fairgrounds. They had a, 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 a fairgrounds. And so at that time, I was caring for my father, and I went. And so I signed on the list, and so I've gotten notices each time they have one. And so this is the third time that I've brought members from our church to this event. But this is the first year that I had nine people that attended. Nine people from one church is a, is a, is a large turnout. Yes, it was. I was very happy that they signed up to go. And the church paid for it. And the church paid for people to go as a, as a ministry for the for the congregation. Uh-huh, yes, yes, now, they did. How many is is nine people? A lot of folks from your church. I don't know the size of your church. Uh, we have a small congregation, probably two, maybe two fifty uh, congregation. So nine and people out of that's a lot. So we have about uh, thirty people who actively participate in the senior ministry. So, uh, but nine of those people, some of them still work. They're not like the senior ministry is fifty-seven plus. Right. So some of the people still work, but the ones that came today, I think only two or three of them work. The rest of them are retired. So you went to the health clinic. Yes, I did. All right. Well, I mean, we're standing in the health clinic now, so yes. that seems... Uh, did you also go to some classes? I did. May I did. The uh, first one was uh, What What About Me, I think is the title, uh-huh. where they tell you how caregivers can uh, get things for themselves and how you need to take time to relax uh, and to not be so overwhelmed. And it's okay, you know, to feel not feel guilty if, if you think you're not doing a, a good job. Right. And then we, I went to the uh, SHIP, uh, Social Security, Medicare Benefits. Right. Right. Uh, state sponsored health insurance by, program. Yeah, the state health insurance program. Learn there how uh, fraud, you need to check your medical bills because... Um, Sometimes the doctors will write in something that you didn't have and how important it is to read over your uh, Medicare bills and also to your Medicare card, how thieves can be in line or somewhere if you carry your card with you all the time. They can take a picture of your card and they have all your information on there. So uh, one of the suggestions yeah, came away not to carry your card unless you're going to the doctor. Now... It, you just got done with the health screening here. Did, was that something you intended to do, or did you just walk by and think, hey, that might be a good idea? No, I intended to do that. I went on the, uh, well, I went on the website and pulled up the agenda before, and I gave everyone in the group a copy of what was going to be. And the health screening was one thing I wanted to see because I was concerned whether I might be potentially diabetic or not. That's not shown up at my doctor's visits or anything. So I was really interested in getting my A1C check. And about how long did that whole process take you? Maybe 10 minutes. The, uh, the so, screening and the vital signs and everything, yeah. So a little bit quicker than a, a visit to the doctor, yes, right? Yes, and I came away with a lot more information in such shorter time than at the doctor's office. And it was cheaper. <laughs> Can't beat free. Now, what's, what would you say is the, the most important thing that you're 
you're going to walk away with today? Uh, I'm going to walk away with uh, knowing uh, all the vendors that were here, the resources that are available to us, because we also do a health fair at our church. And so I've contacted, talked to a lot of the vendors, and they're going to come to our church, to our health fair. So I just have to get that information out, the date and all of that. So, And then for my own edification, my A1C was most important for me to find out. You had to take care of yourself. Yes, yes. Well, one of the biggest takeaways for me, uh, my first time attending a caregiver summit, was just how many people end up coming back. There were so many return attendees who have been to one previously. And our next interview was with a guest, Jim and Raleigh, who did just that. First, I guess we'll start with, how'd you hear about the Caregiver Summit? Well, this is my second year, okay. and I learned from a friend about the conference, and she thought that it would be useful for me last year. And this year, I came back because it was so useful last year. You've been here before. You're you're back again. I'm sure there was something, and maybe something or many things in particular that you were interested in learning about. What, what was sort of on your mind as you were well, coming I, in? I'm particularly interested uh, in Alzheimer's and, and dealing with people, well, with a person uh, that has Alzheimer's and realizing my many shortcomings that become evident every day. What's the most important thing or maybe the, uh, the best tool that you found related to Alzheimer's here today? It's in communication and, and persuading uh, in a way that does not turn someone like, off and against you. Uh, and may, I, may I ask, how long have you been a caregiver? Uh, it's a sort of a hard question to it's answer. It's not as easy. It's not like uh, it's a, it's sort of, Yes, I sort of came into it uh, by, by having to do other chores and things at home that I had never done before. I'd say a year at the outside and six months when it was real. So, but uh, my wife is quite competent. I mean, still to do many, many things. Yeah. Uh, and to tell me how to do them. <laughs> the only things that I fear is that she can't teach me to cook. <laughs> That's all right. You can order food. <laughs> First, I applaud you for starting early. I mean, your, your point about this, you're relatively new on the caregiver journey. Congratulations on starting so early and seeking out resources and seeking out information. A lot of people wait until they've been a caregiver for a long time and they've struggled and, and then they start seeking. So uh, I think you should be congratulated for that. Well, well, thank you. Uh, I'm glad to be here for that reason. Any words of wisdom to other caregivers in our community? Come here. <laughs> Come here. And That's take advantage of uh, work with the support groups. Uh, it's you can't do it alone, and it becomes clear all the time. And finally, we wanted to let you hear from one of the vendors at the summits, and we were able to chat with one vendor with a very interesting concept. We've got Sarshar here with Triangle Mobile Dentistry. Now, that's that's a mouthful, no pun intended, but Sarshar, tell me, what is Triangle Mobile Dentistry? Uh, we are a dental provider. We bring dentistry inside the patient's home. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got portable unit, and basically we bring a whole dentistry inside the resident, wherever the home is being. 
<laughs> to private homes. So private home, uh, we have served uh, patients in a pri- in their private home, in a nursing home, in a rehab centers, even in hospitals. So wherever the patient needs a uh, dental care. Now that's a, a unique concept because you know part part of the fear of going to the dentist is you know walking through those doors and the sort of sterile environment, and you walk around, you see all these. Uh, crazy tools that are going to be used on you. Uh, That's got to be a comforting feeling for someone who maybe has some anxiety about walking into the dentist's office. What that is exactly, because especially with the Alzheimer's patient, they always remember back 30, 40, 50 years ago. And uh, at that point, 40, 50 years ago, not too many people had a pleasant dentistry mm-hmm. experience uh, the dentistry has changed these days of course is more comfortable things like that but for those people with the Alzheimer's or a mobility issue you are correct it's much easier they are in their comfort and uh, they do very well when we go there and we take care of them good good now you're here at the uh, caregiver summit uh, one, one how'd you hear about this and uh, well let's start there how'd you hear about the, the caregiver summit? Uh, well we've been working with uh, the uh, transition guiding light uh, before for the past year and a half and uh, we've been here before last year and we're you know very glad that they are sponsoring this event and putting it together there's a lot of time and effort goes in it and we're glad that we are a part of it so so uh, what uh, what's been the experience like today uh, being here at the conference? Uh, it's been great. I mean, the, some of the classes that the staff has attended was pretty good. They really enjoyed it. And plus, you know, just networking with the other caregivers and basically, you know, letting know the service is available. That's the biggest thing that not too many people know about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would imagine that there aren't many opportunities like this to network with as many people in, in one spot for you. That is absolutely correct. So we are glad to be a part of it and we appreciate the invitation, Cooper. Thank you for supporting it and thank you for providing a service that otherwise often gets overlooked and should not be overlooked. Thank There's you. no reason for it to be. You can actually go to them. Well, it, it is a, takes a lot of logistics to carry this stuff and, you know, providing care, but I'm glad that we are able to do it. We hope you've enjoyed listening to some of the voices of the folks involved at and attending the Caregiver Summits. Uh, you can find more information next year as we start a new round of Caregiver Summits throughout the Triangle. You can always find more information at caregiversummit.org. We are out of time this evening. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. You can join us every Saturday night at 7 here on Aging Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a good night.